I think the more interesting things is like if you actually leverage social media and all of these like pockets of communities that exist today to find your next position, that's probably a more effective path. Hey friend, it's David Nabinsky here in Brooklyn. So excited for this podcast episode with Kat Hernandez. Here at Portfolio Career Podcast, we help you take ownership of your portfolio career and design the life that you want to live. Kat is currently the general partner at the Venture Collective TVC, which is a venture capital firm that invests into founders and entrepreneurs at the early stage of their company. She is also an advisor to ADP Ventures and works on a couple other complementary projects. Previously to the Venture Collective, Kat was a operating partner at Primary Venture Partners, a seed stage venture firm focusing on New York City-based startups. Uh, she worked there for five years, and before that, she had as a background in um, developing people, hiring, recruiting, and so she brings those insights to this episode here. In this episode, you'll also learn about network-expanding conversations, how career growth takes time, using the internet to learn about opportunities, people, and companies, and so much more. As always, this episode with timestamp notes is available on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. There you can subscribe to my newsletter called One Email Away, which has the best insights from the podcast and friend-sourced job opportunities. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Here we go with Kat. Kat, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So as we were, we were just getting started and <laughs> there's always like the initial kind of prep, like any questions or everything, you're like, I'm kind of like a career coach on, on the side. And I was like, <laughs> okay, uh, let's hold that thought uh, and let's turn that to the, to the recording and stuff. So uh, maybe that's just a good place to start. Um, what is, uh, you know, career coaching and career development uh, mean to you these days? Yeah, I'd say, so I started my career um, as a recruiter a long time ago. When I was actually operating, I ran people teams um, as small as, you know, just a handful of folks to, um, you know, dozens of of direct reports. And so I think just by definition, um, I've, I've always had the experience of being in a place where I'm either interviewing people for jobs, giving them jobs, or doing the the kind of sadder part of the role, which is um, letting people go and things aren't working out or businesses aren't doing so well. And so I, I learned really early in life that um, one, of the, one of the most valuable things that you could do is maintain relationships, no matter how things um, ended up uh, professionally. And I also just became um, quite objective in the way that I thought about career, right? Because I've seen so many people grow in the um, 13 or 14 years that I've been working myself. Um, so, so really what it means to be a career coach these days as an investor is the conduit between portfolio companies and really great talent. Some of that talent will come to found companies. And um, that's obviously very good for my day job because uh, as an early stage investor, it's all about identifying great people and tying them to great opportunities. Um, and so that's something that I don't take for granted, but you you know that in this role, you have a fair amount of influence around what people do, how they make decisions. And I think that's something that you can't take very lightly. Mm. And so you said you become objective around it in the sense that, you know, things just kind of happen and there's not 
Well, so when you're not managing your own career, you're generally pretty object- objective, right? Um, I, I think I've seen a lot of different roles. I've seen a lot of different paths. I myself have had a winding path into venture. And I think that, you know, in the all the instances where I'm not talking about my own career or making decisions for myself personally, it's very easy for me to ask probing questions that push you to think about things objectively because the decision to uh, take a role, leave a role, anything related to a job is a very personal one. Um, and so I think it actually helps to have people around you who you trust will give you uh, objective points of view in the moments where maybe you can't be as objective yourself. Is there, I guess it's hard to say because you said it's personal, but is there any uh, maybe a, a question that you like to ask uh, or two that maybe a little bit unique or non-traditional? I don't know if it's unique. I'd say like the question I often ask people when they're asking me for career advice is around, you know, what time horizon are you optimizing for? So is it for the next couple of years or is it for the next decade? And do you have reasonable certainty around what you want to be when you grow up? Because I would argue that for most people, they don't. And like, unless you're becoming a doctor or a lawyer and like, you're truly like deeply trained in a profession, I don't think anyone graduates from college saying like, I want to be the chief revenue officer at a SaaS company, but I think you evolve and you learn that about yourself. And so if the answer becomes, um, I'm optimizing for the short term, then you think about skill development and what you can gain in short term experiences and short is two years, right? Most people used to stay at jobs for many decades, uh, like my father did, but that's no longer the case. And so I think just questions like that, that are open ended, and they encourage you to think about the transaction, maybe slightly differently, are the kinds of questions that I think good coaches in general they ask you, right? And they're trained to ask you. Yeah. Um, and, and so on your side, you, you mentioned you've kind of had a little bit of a, a windy path into venture and stuff. Um, any things that kind of jump out as to kind of how that happened or uh, why that happened? Or <laughs> Partial luck, um, partial timing. Um, but mostly, as I mentioned earlier, it was all about relationship building, right? So much of early stage investing is about people and is about assessing people at the end of the day, like at its core, like, like, yes, you need to be educated on all the other things like market size and product and what industries um, have real, I uh, still massive transformation available to them. But for the most part, being a pre-seed and seed investor is all about humans. And so I landed in this role because I cultivated many relationships along the way. And those relationships have always taken me to the next thing. So I met my partners at Primary when um, a former CFO who happened to be an advisor to them introduced me. Uh, She and I worked together for like a year, not even that long of a time period, um, and still stay in touch to this day. I met my now partners at TVC through um, through an old colleague as well, who when he was moving from trading to startups, I gave him his first job. And uh, he now happens to run a significant piece of SVB. And so I think you just, you never really know. And um, the specific shift into venture, which for some people is very explicit for me was like somewhat accidental. I 
I came across two people who wanted to be truly impactful post-investment and wanted someone with strong operating experience to solve some of those problems for them because they thought that that would truly be one of the biggest defining characteristics of the firm. And I got a lot of leeway to do things the way that I wanted or thought would be beneficial to us in the early days. And that led me to a five-year uh, tenure there only to leave because I wanted to build something myself. Yeah. And is there um, any type of, you mentioned relationship building and you mentioned kind of these accidental conversations, so to speak, is, was there, is there a certain thing that you like to do to cultivate relationships or to signal to people that you might be, or is there something that you'd recommend other people to do that you don't think they do enough of? Um, so I think a couple things it's about, um, I, I mean, I believe in karma. And so part of it is kind of doing things for people when you have nothing to gain from it. Um, and you can truly only do that if you don't find that work to be cumbersome and it's authentic to you. But I genuinely believe that when people need help and if you are the right person to extend that support, you should, um, it will come back to you in many, many different ways. Um, the other side of it is that I spend a lot of time thinking about um, network expanding conversations. And so uh, people always talk about how like not diverse their networks are, or it's all just versions of themselves. And maybe by virtue of being a recruiter in the early days, I was kind of forced to meet a lot of different people and figure out how to connect with them. And so if, if you don't do that now, what I would recommend is do one or two network expanding conversations every single week or month or whatever is comfortable for you and just keep tabs on those people. Um, it's, it's, it seems like such a simple thing, but over a period of many years or many decades, that amounts to hundreds, if not thousands of people that would not otherwise be in your, in your kind of ethos. Yeah. And since you've been doing it for so long, uh, it sounds like you're saying is it's unique in the sense that not that many people stay in touch with people. And uh, so that's really the, the perspective that you're sharing of like people it's, it's, it's knowledge or it's, it's not, it's not to say that other people don't say it, but it's to actually do it is, is the thing that people don't do. Yeah. I'd say, I'd say it's like, um, I think everybody attempts networking, but very few people, few people are truly intentional about it. And the intentionality is the thing that I think is unique, right? Like being very specific about like, there are so many things in this world that I don't know. And so if I don't know them, I try to meet people that can educate me on them. And there's not a single person in this universe that doesn't like to sound smart for 30 or 45 minutes and you buy them a coffee. And um, for some people, you may not connect with them deeply, but there will be a handful that you do. And those same people are the relationships that um, help my portfolio companies and uh, eventually maybe run some of them. And it's, it's actually been, um, it's been more, it's been more helpful than I thought that it would as far as it relates to my day job. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, on LinkedIn a little while ago, you posted this, 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 uh, uh, this line that has really resonated with me, um, but it's around this. I think it's the quote is like career progression is a, is a lot of, is a million little steps inch forward. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about that quote. Oh, funny. I, I haven't thought of that quote in a while, but um, it was born of this uh, notion that, you know, you don't become the president of the United States like overnight. Right. 
And I think that when you think about all the little steps that go into becoming a founder, a CEO, a senior executive at a company, there are a million small things that you do to move you in that direction. Some of those things are uh, moments that happen when things are really difficult. And some of those things are, are happen when you're doing all the right uh, motions. Um, and so I think the, 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 I guess like impression I was trying to leave was largely centered around like, don't let the pressure of whatever that big goal is completely um, overwhelm you because if you actually do know what you want to be when you grow up, then, you know, move slowly in that direction and be patient with yourself that it may not happen overnight. And for some people it might, and you know, that's wildly unfair, but it is the, the world that we live in. Um, and I think that that um, relieves some of the pressure for people to be, I guess, top notch all the time. Um, and in our society in particular, this is different in other countries, but in the US in particular, there's a, a cultural notion that you need to be the best at everything that you do and that anything beyond that point is, is failing. And um, I think that you have to fail in order to grow. And uh, in that failure, you actually then realize what it is that might actually be meaningful to you on a career um, basis. And uh, the uh, speaking of LinkedIn, I guess it was maybe like it was maybe just in the last couple of months or maybe six to nine months, it felt like the Cat Hernandez has got a new position or uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, as like the portfolio career, it's like, you know, how do we, um, you know, learn new things, share our gifts, things of that nature. Uh, so obviously your day job is the Venture Collective, um, but um you know, advisor to ADP Ventures and a couple other things. Maybe talk to us a little bit about like kind of how you think about um, taking on, you know, sm small projects, advisory roles, things like that. Yeah, very, very few. I try to do very few of those things, although I am involved in a lot of things. Um, so I, I'd say on the advisory front, ultimately it comes down to like, does this also add value to my day job? And so um, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of upside in being aligned with an organization like ADP that is trying to innovate, but also happens to push payroll for um, quite a large uh, part of our society. And so I think I learn a lot about having not worked in a large corporate environment like that, what it means to what it means to build and create and buy companies. Um, and so selfishly, like it's also educational for me, right? And I wanna know what their point of view is on the future of work because I'm investing in pre-seed and seed stage companies that may be of interest to them in the long run, either as clients or potential acquisitions. Um, and it's just a team, a C-level team that I've gotten to know over a period of years. And it wasn't until uh, recently that we were like, oh, we should just maybe formalize this and like, you know, we hang out regularly. Um, and so it's not an overly complicated relationship in that sense. Um, and I think that's one of the, I guess, like misnomers of like, you put on a new role there and everybody thinks, oh my God, that must be so much time. But it really isn't when you're talking about like still things that are related to my like day-to-day -day function as, a, as an investor. Um, and similarly with the W Fund, I've known Kate for many years. And um, they needed specific support around how they were thinking about deploying the capital and constructing the portfolio that they thought would deliver best in class returns. And I have learned from my former partners at Primary and also have spent a lot of time thinking about that at TBC. And so to the extent that there's 
that I can be of use there. Uh, and they were willing to ink something more formally that, um, that was exciting. And similarly, because we can invest alongside each other, there's very little downside. And TVC is all about investing in underrepresented founders, including women. Um, and so I think my hope is that there will be many ways that that relationship bears fruit that isn't just for me. Okay. Makes a lot of sense. Um, so it sounds like you're saying it's complimentary things, small things to enhance your learning, uh, double down on strengths and things that you're already doing. All right. Um, the What do you love about uh, venture investing or seed investing? <laughs> um, I like the people component of it. I, I am the type of investor that, um, one, doesn't do a lot of deals on an annual basis, but also likes to be really hands-on after the check. And for the right type of founder, that sounding board and guidance can be really, really impactful. And I've had the pleasure of having some of those you know, relationships carry over into folks now that have invested in my firm even. And so I think what I love about it is the fact that if you, if you, value relationships like this can be one of the most like deeply satisfying relationship that you're in because venture especially at the stage that I invest is like a seven to ten year horizon before like you really see any material outcome Um, and you may see like all the news of all the companies like that are going public whether it's directly or through SPACs but the reality is that for many of those businesses they've actually been around for a while like they've been grinding for a while and it's all starting to come to life publicly. Um, and my hope is that as an investor, I can be a you know, small part of making that a little easier for you, especially at the really early stages when you don't have as much resources and networks as you would once you start to raise lots and lots of capital. That's probably the most fulfilling is like, these are people that I want to eventually be able to call friends and extended family to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. And the, um, uh, as we were talking about kind of hiring and, and, uh, you know, in your previous work with around talent and future of work and stuff, is there any, uh, kind of newer trends or anything that stands out for people of how they're getting jobs these days or kind of breakout roles, anything that kind of comes to mind? I don't know. I think, I mean, still, I feel like the most effective way to get a new job is by having someone refer you and, I think there, um, there's a lot of emphasis as well on like diversity, equity, and inclusion these days. And so I think you have to balance that, like that referral uh, mindset with the fact that you still want to be building diverse teams on the other side. And I, I would say, I mean, if you look at my career trajectory as an example, right, it's not necessarily been a referral, but it's been through someone I know is how I ended up where I ended up. And um, the reality is that early in your career, if you're applying for jobs and you're kind of ending up in the sinkhole of an ATS that nobody's paying attention to, um, you have to find ways to stand out, right? Um, Especially when you're talking about roles that are being hired for in bulk, right? Um, Multiple versions of it. It's just very hard to look at a resume, which is not dynamic at all, and use that as your only mile marker for, for, Uh, getting a role. And so I I think the more interesting things is like, if you actually leverage social media and all of these like pockets of communities that exist today to find your next position, that's probably a more effective path than like 
uh, applying to jobs uh, solely through LinkedIn. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that. You can use that for discovery. But if you were to go into the clubhouses, the Twitters, the, the chiefs of the world, and you were to use those communities to your benefit, um, so filter out all the noise and maybe you don't tweet a lot, but um, in the world of tech, there is an insane amount of potential to use that to your advantage. And what do you think that, what does that, does that say like, hey, I'm applying to this job? Um, it can say that. That's very transactional though, right? Um, I would say, hey, I want to learn about this. Um, I, I guess like my, my whole um, thesis around finding the right role for you is part of it is knowing if it's even for you. And so why not explore by asking smart people for a little bit of their time to tell you what it's like to actually work at a Twitter or a Slack or a Netflix. And I find in most cases, people will be more than happy to get on a phone call if, if there's, you know, mutual value. And even if there isn't, um, like I said, most people like to be, they like to sound smart. Um, And so I would actually use it as a way to just build your network and ask interesting questions to learn more about opportunities versus like what you see online is like the version of a company is the only is like the most positive version of that company and so what it means to be a product manager at netflix or twitter or any company these days like you never you're never truly going to know until you talk to people inside it and so if it's the networking that you want to do through LinkedIn, or if it's the DMs that you want to be sending through other platforms, or if it's clubhouse events that you want to attend, where you can ask interesting questions to panelists that you would not normally be able to access otherwise. There's so many different paths now to connecting, to get inside that like you didn't have before, right? The only option before used to be that you would mail your resume. And I mean, we've come such a long way from that being the primary medium for um, defining yourself. Mm, I love that. So it's a way to just to gather insights and you don't really know what it's like until you're in, in the role. And then, uh, then obviously there's like the first couple months or a month or so and you're like actually doing the job and that's different than even just some of the high, high level stuff. I just think you can learn so much about companies or individuals that you may work for in the future by just having as many conversations either directly or indirectly about those people or businesses, right? The sheer amount of information that you can pull using the internet, using like communities online and offline, like that's just not, the, it's not the same as it was um, many, many decades ago. I mean, my dad worked for an oil company for 40 years and I actually have never asked him, how did you get recruited to do that? And, um, I bet if I did, it would be probably a very traditional recruiting type process. And I think it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. And, um, as you progress in your career, it's possible that you start to then interact with executive recruiters and you have a different level of people paying attention to potential opportunities for you. But even then, I don't think that um, you stop doing all of those things, right? There's, I, I constantly talk to people about what it's like to work in different environments because it also helps me think about what works for me. And when I was an operator, the thing that worked for me was like absolute chaos, right? I love this idea of like zero product market fit for figuring things out super fast. And like, I only ever worked in seed to series B environments because that was the most fun. 
Um, but you won't know that about yourself until you've tried it a few times or you've uh, stress tested that assumption. Chaos. <laughs> is it, is it chaos these days on the, on the investing side or is it a different type of chaos? It's a different kind of chaos. I mean, it's not my chaos to manage, right? But it is, um, early stage investing is, is, um, is the hardest to get right in a lot of ways because you have a lot of imperfect information. And depending on how long you've known a founder, you also have, um, I think you're, you're largely just relying on, an in, on your belief that this person will execute exactly in the way that they think or some version of that will result in a multi-billion dollar outcome at some point. And venture is the only job, I say this to people all the time, like it's the only job where you actually can be wrong most of the time. And you only have to be right once or twice in order to be a really great investor. And so if you think about that from a psychology standpoint, that's like mind boggling, right? And as an early stage investor, you expect that most of your portfolio is not going to graduate to that next phase of financing or to, to that public status that everybody sees eventually. Um, and that means you get better and better over time in like fine tuning how you choose that. But it's it's chaotic in the sense that it's not mathematical. There are signals, uh, you know, there are metrics that you can, you know, uh, look for that every business school will teach you, but it's still like, the most chaotic phase of investing, very different to when you think about growth investing and the business has, you know, years and years of uh, forecasts and plans that they've had to adhere to that they've either reached or not. And uh, as we're starting to wrap up here a little bit, um, I have one kind of concept around the podcast is around how like people are kind of like one email away. And it sounds like you, you talked a little bit about like DMs and things like that, but any examples of like how, you know, provide some hope for people of like how, you know, an email could change something or is anything like that as an unexpected opportunity or conversation came from, you know, just sending an email to someone? I mean, I encourage founders and, you know, high caliber operators to send emails all the time, right? To the extent that you can land in people's inboxes, I think it's actually far more impactful than if you were to send them um, messages on social media platforms. I think you just have to meet people where they are, right? So certain people um, like to operate off their phones and certain people like to uh, be on Twitter all day. Um, I am not one of those people. So if you DM me, I will totally, I will miss it for many, many weeks until I realize that it's there. But I think the thing to ensure that you're doing in any of these outreaches is, is just having, having them be really personalized and very specific almost, right? I don't actually like to get on the phone with someone where I feel like I'm not, I might not be able to add value to the conversation. And so if there is a reason you are reaching out where I can specifically be supportive and helpful, then I'd be more than happy to do that. I have plenty of people who I know only a little bit that reach out to me periodically to ask for intros to other people in my network. And if it's easy enough for me to do and low lift, and it's a very particular thing that they're asking for, there's, there's no harm in me being the messenger in those scenarios. Um, and if that's the difference between being seen and not seen, then I'd rather give everybody a shot, but the person on the other side can also quite fairly decline, right? If it's not, it's not a good fit, but specificity, I think is the thing that a lot of people look for because no one likes to be, no one likes to feel like you sent them like a form email. 
Um, especially if you get the name wrong, that's the word. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else that you think that we missed Kat as people are, you know, focusing on career growth, um, in 2021? Um, and while you're thinking about that, please let listeners know where they can learn more and stay in touch. The only piece of advice I would say to people is, you know, career is only one part of your identity, but it's a big one because you spend a lot of hours obsessing and laboring over it. But I think it's a, it's one of those things just to be mindful when you're early in your careers to not let it solely define you and also to not stay in something that you don't think is uh, is a good fit for a variety of reasons, but to be mindful of the biases that you bring into making those choices, right? Um, I, there are a lot of reasons that people become unhappy at work, some of which can be fixed through the company and some of which is just inherently in you. And so the self-reflection around what's productive in terms of environment, um, what's the kind of manager that you like want to work for, all of that ties into whether or not you have a positive or negative experience somewhere. And I think just like trying to take a couple steps back here and there um, can be really beneficial early on and mentors and advisors of some kind may be helpful to your journey there. And so finding people who are both more experienced than you and less experienced than you actually is, is wonderful in just rounding out that perspective. And then as far as where you can get in touch with me, I'm very easy to find on the internet. My handle on everything is at Cap M Hernandez. Um, and I can be, I mean, my email as most venture emails go is cat at the venture collective.com. So it is literally my first name and my firm. Amazing. Thank you so much, Kat. Really appreciate it. Thanks, David. Hey friend, thank you for tuning in to this special episode of portfolio career podcast. would love to hear what you learned and what you enjoyed. Um, you can find me on Twitter LinkedIn, Instagram, whatever is best for you. And as a reminder, I'm just one email away as well. This episode with timestamp notes is available on my website at portfoliocareerpodcast.com. There you can subscribe to my newsletter called One Email Away, which includes the best insights from the podcast and friend sourced opportunities. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Thank you so much.